0: This is fun music, and I'm excited to share it with you. Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Peter McConnell's music for the new Sly Cooper, Thieves in Time, is cartoon music, much like what we hear in the old Looney Tunes or like the old Pink Panther films. Even Throughout the game, we travel in time to places like Old England, Japan, the Ice Age, and the Old West, Slapstick references and clever scoring give us musical cues about where and when we are. We also have one copy of the game to give away at random. More info at the end of the episode. There are so many references in here, and it just absolutely reminded me of watching Looney Tunes growing up or Tex Avery or any of those mm-hmm. you know, traditional style cartoons that have just a, an amazing set of musicians behind it, for one thing, but are also just making all these really smart references to things to kind of bring us to a, a certain place or a certain time. Can you speak about any of those specifically?
1: Sure, I mean, I'm sort of a student of the Looney Tunes stuff mm-hmm. um, You know that Carl Stalling, the composer, licensed most of the melodies from a guy named Raymond Scott, who's a really interesting musician You know, now I've, I've, I listen to that stuff a lot, but probably more importantly, I, I really did grow up with it um, There's also, Henry Mancini's stuff is probably really more prominent as an influence there um, Definitely and, uh, you know, he's sort of the emperor of retro, chic, spy, tongue-in-cheek sound, uh, of that sound. So I really, you know, certainly was referring to that and and just a lot of experience also playing in bands as a rock and roll musician as well.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned Henry Mancini because that was the other reference I kept kind of being pulled to was the Pink Panther movies.
1: The Pink Panther movies and also the Peter Gunn theme. Absolutely. And uh, when I was uh, a kid, uh, we used to go to a place in Connecticut on vacation, I still do, and, and across the lake from us, there's a, a girls camp and they had water ballet and they would p- mm. play the Pink Panther and Peter Gunn. It would seem like <laughs> incessantly. And I just <laughs> thought that was the coolest music and I would swim <laughs> to it and, you know, yeah. whatever, groove around to it.
0: Characters in Sly Cooper are uh, quite eccentric, each and of, of themselves. They each have just this vibrant personality. Can you talk about various themes you used, maybe for Murray or Bentley or uh, El Jefe, even?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, you know, El Jefe. Um, <laughs> uh, for for some reason, I'm I'm going to him first, just just because I was really I, I was. Kind of thrown off when I first started looking at, at the game. Like, why is this guy who's a samurai, <laughs> you know, chieftain named El Jefe? And, uh, you know, and why does he look an awful lot like Fidel Castro? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I started to get, I, I, as the story unfolded for me, and, I, and I'm sure this is one of the points that makes the game so charming is that the whole upside downness of the universe in yes. this game is about people getting put in the wrong place where they don't belong. So El Jefe, I went with the the samurai vibe because that it was a samurai world, but you know, you couldn't help be influenced by the fact that he also looks a little bit like, you know, Che Guevara or something
2: like that. (laughs)
1: In terms of the team, you know, Sly and Murray and Bentley, I've sort of I've done two other projects with uh, two other Sly projects and really sort of gotten to know these guys. And Mm -hmm. musically, Sly really is the leader. So his his music, his little theme is pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And Murray and Bentley, they're not dependent on him but they do kind of orbit around him okay. as characters so a lot of times their music is related to his theme as well but in general it's 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 more of a of a orchestrational thing you know a, mm-hmm. i really think of of clarinet for for bentley and i really think of of sort of tuba or bass trombone for for murray which you know there's sort of obvious calls but, um, but they're the right you know, ones. But they're the right ones. You got to do. Just gotta. You know. You got. If, if the if the if uh, the if the shoe fits. You know. You got to yep. go with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, they're all sort of part of the same kind of cool jazz suite, you might say.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about that. You did a score a number of years ago called Grim Fandango, and mm-hmm. we talked about it when I spoke with you two years ago. And this is, you know, along those lines. It
1: is. It's, It's. Um, I mean, of course, Grim was another very broad universe. Both of these games have very broad universes where mm-hmm. you're sort of allowed to well, we're going to go to different places in the world or different places in time in the world. Grimm, I think, was a little bit more serious in how the music was employed. Yes. And it was, of course, every type of music had some vague connection to to Latin music. Grimm was also the music of a particular part of San Francisco. It was, it was a, sort of about the Mission District because if you went to this part of San Francisco on a Friday night, you could go hear Tom Waits's bass clarinet player in one club and then go around the corner to the Taqueria and hear a, a mariachi band playing. All those characters, all those musicians in that sort of milieu ended up in that score. Sly, I think, musically, it it was also an ensemble uh, production in in the sense that with Grimm, I kind of developed this ensemble that was about that part of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And with Sly, um, we did these recordings in Nashville, and there are some wonderful musicians there. And we were able to, you know, especially since we broke it into two week-long sessions that were several months apart, with the first set of sessions... I really could learn what everybody could do. And with the second set, I was like, OK, well, you know, you got to go to town with, with this guy because he loves doing X, you know? Yeah. And uh, or she loves doing Y. And mm-hmm. uh, so it became about the group of musicians that we were fortunate enough to work with.
0: A big band and an orchestra, then, or did you? We did. We okay. had
1: we had a I guess small big band isn't really a cool term, but <laughs> we had you know three trombones and something like five to seven winds depending on the mm-hmm. on the on the session, a couple trumpets. So that's that's a sort of a small sized big band. Mm-hmm. And then we also had uh, double reeds and a French horn and thirty strings. Wow. And of course, drums and bass and, and a hot guitar player. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it was basically everything you would want for this score.
0: One of uh, the things that I've enjoyed hearing is bass clarinet.
1: Yes. (laughs) Bass clarinet's actually just kind of one of my favorite instruments. I use it a lot because really it has almost the upper range of a regular clarinet. Right. If you want to be sort of really harsh with it, which is kind of fun to be harsh with it. Mm -hmm. But then it has just this wonderful, you know, resonant sound. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing in a normal sort of live kind of jazz scene, It kind of fell out of favor, as I understand it, kind of early on, because it doesn't project the way, say, a Barry Sax does. Right, right. You can hear some bass clarinet in really early um, Ellington Mm -hmm. recordings. Anyway, when you have a nice room to work with and and great miking conditions, then you know you can put a bass clarinet next to a Barry Sax, and they sound awesome.
0: So at some point I guess I'll end up in old England, and I enjoyed right. the the references there to like the English and Scottish folk music kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Loved it.
1: I honestly don't know where that comes from, except that my name's McConnell. <laughs> um, again, when I was younger, we had a, a, a few vinyl records, and one of them was uh, uh, Julie Andrews singing Scottish folk tunes. So oh, that how probably. Funny. Uh, of all things Yeah, uh, <laughs> somehow or other it's in me blood somewhere But uh, <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit of the old Harvard-y um, uh, early music stuff too Because certainly sure. uh, in, in, in college uh, we listened to a lot of, you know, I took early music And uh, that's, uh, that English sound is quite distinctive You did say you were in the. You got to the caveman part.
0: I had just started the caveman part.
1: That was that was a kind of a special. I did want to say a word about that. That was kind of a special section because, unlike the other things where there's like an obvious call in terms of okay, well, Paris, you know, Pink Panther, and yes. and, and Arabia. Well, you know, we have these. You know, we have so many Yosemite Sam references there. It's, yes. It's, We have a lot of literature to draw from. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it got to the Ice Age, I was kind of (laughs) like, wow, okay, that's kind of a blank. I mean, what in the world do you do in the Ice Age? I mean, what did music sound like? And so I really kind of had a a few fits and starts there. And then kind of in collaboration with Jonathan Mayer, um, we came up with this idea that it should sound like music being invented. And that was so liberating because then I could just throw all the rules out the window. And for a lot of these pieces, I actually said, Uh, You know, the pitches are just suggestions, just make sure you play it in rhythm. (laughs) it's hard to listen to your own music um but i think in this case i I, it's it's sort of extra fun to listen to it just because i'm I'm, i was so pleased with how it came out and the group of people we had to work with um you know i do kind of think of this as my magnum opus i i love i think music should have a sense of humor Mm -hmm. and i take that really really seriously if that (laughs) makes any sense and um it's so rare that you get a chance to do something that you really 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 you know want to do yeah and um it was just a real joy to work with the sony guys uh jonathan mayer and michael bricker and uh, and clint clint pachekian and, and chuck Dowd, who runs the whole operation there is just a fantastic leader and uh so i really felt super well supported
0: Peter, thank you so much for talking with me again. It's just been a pleasure to to hear this music. I cannot wait to share this with everyone, and uh, this is really, really well done.
1: Well, well, Emily, thanks very much for having me. It's it's a real it's a real privilege.
0: You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and I had help this week from Johnny Vince Evans. Upcoming shows are going to feature Kevin Ripple of Gears of War and Aliens, Colonial Marines. Also, Jim Dooley of Infamous and Infamous 2. And I'm heading to PAX East, to Boston, to moderate a composer panel on Saturday, March 23rd. Swing by, you can see composers Jason Graves, Jack Wall, Greg Edmondson... Gary Scheiman, Kevin Ripple, and Enon Zur. We also have one copy of Sly Cooper, Thieves in Time for the PlayStation 3. It is a Sony franchise. We have that to give away, and we'll draw one winner at random. Find all the rules and information at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. Don't forget, too, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at topscorepodcast. Podcast.